Hello everyone, this is Sarisha and I host the Women, Career and Life podcast. Just like you, I've traversed varied paths, stumbled a little, picked myself up and learned a great deal on my journey. Many of us face similar questions, but we don't always get to have a conversation with our friends or peers. In this podcast, you will hear real stories that you can connect with on the challenges of navigating career and life. You must be wondering who I am. In my everyday life, I'm a career woman, a mom, and an avid reader. I'm also a road tripper, amateur gardener, and even a fashionista on some days. Join me and my guests as we have an open and honest discussion on career change, trade-offs, and working across boundaries. You get the idea. It's a perspective you simply may not hear anywhere else. Hello, everyone. Today I have with me Laura Vanderkam. She's the author of several time management and productivity books, including Julie's School of Possibilities, Off the Clock, I Know How She Does It, and What the Most Successful People Do Before Breakfast. One of my favorites is 168 Hours, and we'll be talking about that book as well. Her work has appeared in the Wall Street Journal, New York Times, and other publications. And she's the host of a podcast, Before Breakfast, which she co-hosts with Sarah Hart Unger. She also lives outside Philadelphia with her family, her husband and five children, and blogs at lauravandercam.com. Laura, welcome. So excited to have you on the podcast today. Thank you so much for having me. So before we get started, I know you used to be a journalist. Maybe you could give us some background of what you worked on and what brought you to where you are today. Uh, Yeah, well, I've just always been interested in writing. And so I worked for a couple different places and wrote about a lot of different topics, but was always interested in schedules and how people got a lot done in the time we have. So began writing books about that a couple of years ago. And I'm just fascinated by the topic of time. We all have the same amount of time and yet we do very different things with it. And so I really enjoy studying how people use the hours and how they create very different lives based on what they do with those hours. I think that's what's uh, fantastic, right? You have a quote on your blog, which I really like. Spend more time on the things that matter and less on the things that don't. Captures that elasticity of time that you're trying to convey in your books, but what we choose to prioritize as we work through our schedules and everyone has the same 24 hours and 168 hours. It's no different from person to person. So can you just actually briefly discuss what you mean by 168 hours? And then we'll do some more deep dive in and some of the Mm -hmm. stories that you talked about in your book. So 168 hours is the number of hours in a week. It is 24 times seven. People say 24 seven a lot. People often don't multiply that through, but there are in fact 168 hours in a week. And so I think the reason we want to think about time that way is it tends to be the cycle of life that people actually live. Most of us live our lives in weeks. That's how we structure our lives. That's how we think of it. It's sort of the most common repeating cycle tends to be the one that we humans have decided we want to have structure our lives. And so because of that, I think it's very important to know that there are 168 hours in a week, because in order to, you know, have any sense of how much time you are spending on things or how much you want to be spending on things, you know, what the proportions are. You need to know what the denominator is of a fraction. One of the exercises in your book that talks about is really looking at maybe a week or two of our own structured time in 15, 30 minute intervals to see where we parse out all this time, because many of us lead busy lives. And sometimes I think we believe the lives we lead are even busier than they could or may or may not be. And this gives us, it's very eye-opening to see where really all the time goes. 
I suggest people try tracking their time for a week or two. Give sense to get the data because, you know, people often come to time management literature because they think there's something about their time that needs to change. But if you don't know where the time is going now, how do you know if you're changing the right thing? Getting the data is what makes a good decision possible. And you've interviewed a lot of different people, you know, you did, looked at a lot of time logs. So what were some of the most interesting stories that you learned from? What I'm always interested in is how people who do have a lot going on with their lives still make time for things that are fun. So I'm always just fascinated when people are consciously making choices that allow for just a richer, deeper notion of time. You know, one of my favorite examples, I mean, I've seen thousands over the years, but one fun one uh, was a family where they decided to put their two daughters in piano lessons that met simultaneously at a music center on the weekends. And then during that time, like during that hour where they were both having their music lessons, mom and dad would go out and have like a a date, right? They'd they'd go have lunch together or brunch or whatever and, and, you know, just enjoy that hour of time together. And I just thought that was such a different approach to like kid music lessons than, than most of us have, where they're like, at different times with the same teacher, but then, you know, you have to be dealing with the other kid during that, or it's something, you know, after school that everyone's shuttling around, like to consciously repurpose this time as couple time as well, just had a sort of next level awareness of making sure that the schedule supported things that were fun. That is really interesting because you're usually when you're juggling that you're only thinking of that kids juggling time you're not thinking of your own time or Mm -hmm. couples time or whatever else you need to do and that yeah you're right it's it's sort of the next step of thinking and looking at your really your schedule and in a lot of ways we are overwhelmed with activities I don't know in your case but in I think COVID gave me and a lot of people I know time to step back and really evaluate what is it that you want to do and maybe kind of let go as well And what have you seen through that structure? I know you have five kids. It looks like you're going through some construction work at your own place. So you're juggling a lot of things. You're writing a book. I know there's some deadlines are coming up as well. So how do you structure your own time? Well, I'm very careful about trying to, you know, think through how I'm spending my time. I plan my weeks on Fridays. I look at the upcoming week, think about what I need to do, think about what I would like to do. I do try to make sure, you know, on any given weekend, for instance, that I'm doing at least two or three things that I am excited about, you know, not that everyone, all the other things we have to do, shuttling kids around, doing chores, errands, whatever else, but making sure that there's some enjoyable time as well. Um, so, you know, that's, that's definitely one of the, one of the things I try to do. I really, um, you know, think through, am I trying, if I'm making progress on all my bigger projects in any given week, where is the time that I can do that? If something goes wrong, where's the backup time for that? So, you know, I find if you continue to ask those questions every week, think about how you can make time on your calendar for whatever it is that you need to accomplish. Over time, you you do keep making progress and, and eventually you get done what you want to get done. And I had a friend I was talking to last week and he mentioned this concept, I guess that's going around called zero days and non-zero days. I don't know if you'd heard of it and it, it's kind of similar. So if you have a long-term goal, most of us are overwhelmed by these really long-term goals. So it's your non-zero days about just taking a little step. So if you're thinking of physical activity, even if you do two push-ups, that's a non-zero day. It could be even five minutes or two minutes doing something. So you're just making progress towards those goals. So in some ways, what you're talking about, where you're carving time out for yourself is is prioritizing whatever that is critical to you. 
and you talk about these mosaic tiles. I, I really, every time I, I listen to it as an audio book, as I went for a walk, as I, like I said, I was listening to it and I was just envisioning those tiles being moved. And I thought it was pretty neat because time is constant, but also elastic at the same time. If you choose to make, it, it's like telling a child, you know, you have five minutes to do homework versus five minutes of video game time. Those five minutes don't go at the same time, right? One feels like it's, gosh, it's 30 minutes and one feels like, hey, that was five seconds. So the elasticity of time lies in that concept of what we want to do rather than what we should do. And maybe that's maybe that's part of the mosaic tile. So maybe you can speak to that and just... Is there anything, if our listeners had to take away one thing that they should do differently or not do, what would you suggest? Don't forget to subscribe to my Substack newsletter. The links are in the show notes. If you're looking to partner with me for keynote speaking on women leadership, financial independence or graduate school and beyond, check out my website and reach out to me. Stay tuned in and listen to the rest of the podcast. Thanks for listening. Well, the reason I like this mosaic image, I mean, when I track my time, I do it on weekly spreadsheets. And so the cells of the spreadsheet in this telling are tiles on a mosaic, which just seems like a much more artistic and creative way of approaching it than just talking about, you know, using Excel. But the idea is that time does not have to be used for one particular thing. So many of us have the idea that work happens from nine to five, Monday through Friday. You know, that is the way it must be. And, you know, there's nothing to be done about that. Work does not happen at other times. And so there becomes this strict separation of, you know, work and the rest of life. And that's fine if you want to, you know, do it that way. But especially, you know, a lot of people have seen with, with COVID over the past year, and as a lot of people, you know, worked from home more, the lines don't have to be quite as strict. But in general, the mosaic idea is that we can move time around between different categories. And by doing so, you can open up more possibilities than if work absolutely does have to happen between nine to five and personal things cannot happen between nine to five. You know, as an example, you know, some people might start work late some morning to go read to a child's class for a special occasion. And then they would just work later that afternoon, you know, instead of, um, so, you know, let's say work from 10.30 to 6.30 instead of nine to five. And, you know, the same amount of work could still get done, but you open up the possibility of doing something else or maybe going for a run at lunch and then just making up the time at some other point or something I've seen a lot of people do, especially if they have very young children who go to bed early is end work relatively early so they can spend quite a bit of time with their young children who go to bed early and then do whatever work didn't get done in the afternoon at night after the kids go to bed. Right. So they're splitting their work shifts and doing, say, you know, nine to three and then work from eight to 10 at night. And it's again, it's the exact same amount of time. It's just that you open up more hours for other things based on, you know, what can happen sort of around other constraints. Working a half day during the week and working half a day on Saturday, you go to a museum on Thursday afternoon and, you know, they're not open other times. Well, then just work a half day on Saturday. So that's, that's the idea of the mosaic is just that you can move time around into different categories. And by being a little bit more flexible and a little bit more open about whether time is for work or life or something else, you, you just allow for, for a more broad perspective. Very true. And I think it gives you, to your point, though you're looking at the 168 hours to structure it to what you want to do, it doesn't have to be overstructured. 
there is flexibility around moving it as, as you see fit feed for that week or those few days or even in the future. One of the interesting observations, this uh, amount of time that working mothers spent with their children and stay-at-home moms spent with their children. When you did a looked at a lot of the logs, what sort of conclusions did you come to? Well, we have this idea that how women spend their time. And so there's sort of this idea floating around that if you, you know, work full time, you'd never see your kid. Now that we know, as your listeners know, that there are 168 hours in the week, you see sort of the problem with that mindset, right? If you work 40 hours, like that's a lot less than 168 hours. <laughs> there's 128 hours for other things. If you sleep eight hours a night, 56 hours per week, you still have 72 waking, non-working hours for other things. I mean, how often have people said, oh, you spend the majority of your waking hours at work. For the vast majority of people, that is actually not true. We also don't have a really good sense of how women who are not in the workforce spend their time. It's just not something that people have really studied all that much. But the reality is that very few people have, you know, infants who are around constantly. You know, women do other things with their time. They do their own projects, they errands, they do other things. You know, there's just the time available for interacting with kids is not the whole not eight hours you would have been at work. And and so the actual gap between how much interactive time women who work full-time for pay and women who are not in the workforce spend with their children. It's really not that different. Like it's not 40 hours different, one to two hours a day different. Everyone has to make their own choices, but I definitely want people to think that if they are interested in simultaneously pursuing career ambitions and raising a family, that there is space for both. And you will definitely spend quite a bit of interactive time with family, regardless of what career choices you wind up making. To your point, I, I've been a stay-at-home mom and I'm, I work, I've, I've done both sides. There are ways to structure it. And it actually segues to a different concept, which, which you talk about is the way I looked at it was financial health mm-hmm. because there are women or men or, or caregivers who choose to work part-time. For, for choices of, you know, having to need that time or resources for something else. Some of those are decisions because we feel like that the structured time, that's what's available for it. And in some cases, we are locked into those situations. So we don't have flexibility. But if the choice is made because we think that that 20 hours is going to stick to the 20 hours that we really think is part-time, I think few jobs do allow it to be really part-time, but most, I think, don't follow the 20 hours then, you know, the financial aspects also do play into it. If you're working 20 hours, you're being compensated for it. But if you're really stretching that goal, you talk about sort of the career ramp curve or even sort of the longevity of what that investment looks like. So could you speak and elaborate? Working part-time often sounds like the best of both worlds to people, right? One is that, again, most people don't spend all of that time that they are not working then on high quality things. And if you are trading off paid work for say housework, that may not have been the best financial choice. Like maybe you would have been better off working the extra hours for pay and either just not doing as much housework or maybe outsourcing some of it. Also, as you pointed out, a lot of jobs that are supposed to be part-time don't have a strict cap on hours. So people wind up saying, oh, I'm going part-time just so I can you know, say no and set some boundaries. But then they wind up working very close to the number of hours that their full-time colleagues work. And, and then you've taken a significant pay cut for no really good reason so that you're not 
making making a sort of choice that seems like it would be the best of both worlds, but but in fact is is just you're earning less, not working significantly less, and spending the time that you freed up on things that are perhaps not the best use of your time. It affects, let's talk about the financial aspect. It does have an impact on it, but I think to your point, you could outsource some of those. Those are hard decisions to make when you want to give some things up. But if you were to look at all the pieces, let's go back to your mosaic, right? You're looking at all the mosaic tiles and making that decision. I think one of the examples is about a lawyer in that they're working part-time, but probably working only maybe six to eight hours less than their full-time colleague because they are billable hours. It's a significant difference because now you're up not only for what you're getting paid today, but you know it could be lead to partnership opportunities and it lends itself to a whole different level of discussion without having to give up your core. I just want to clarify to whoever's listening, we are not suggesting that you have to work full-time or you should not be a stay-at-home mom or any of that. It's, it's a choice that we all make, but this just opens up the realm of possibilities to look at all of these and in a different viewpoint to a different lens and see if that's still the best solution for what you did. Like in my own case, I stayed home for three years. I had the best time. But I also, if I if I were to compare work in this, staying at home as a mom is quite challenging. It's, it's a lot of hard work as well. And sometimes going back to work, I felt the structure was much more simpler. You know, there was a set of goals that you could sort of check the box off. But I always found that when I had a lot of like household stuff to do, it, it sort of repeated much more frequently, right? By the time I got something done, it, it ended up at square one and I was playing catch up again. Be, let's go back to the basics, the laundry or the dishes or whatever it was with young children. It's just a constant mm-hmm. um, lot of work. So it just kept resetting the clock in a lot of ways, so. Yeah, no, that can be true. So just if, if people are in the house, they see the mess more. It's just one of those funny realities of the elasticity of time. You know, it has to be filled with something. There's a parallel example that the email or the meetings or other schedule. I mean, there is that similar parallel you can draw at work also. How to take advantage of whatever time you're working to make it more productive. Yeah, I mean, people waste all kinds of time. I mean, all of us do. Much work of all sorts, housework, paid work, expands to fill the available space. It doesn't mean you can take zero time to do these things, but often there's some amount of malleability by choosing to devote less time to these things, then you wind up devoting less time to these things. You've written the book on what do successful leaders do before breakfast? What are some of the key things that they do? Mornings are really a great time for getting things done. And this is a good time to do anything that is important to you that life has a way of crowding out. So exercise, reading, creative work, long-term strategic thinking, sometimes you know, investing in your relationships. These are all things that can be done in the morning when most people tend to have more focus and discipline in the morning. The end of the day can get away from you. People tend to have more control over those early morning hours. If you look at the sort of leisure time people tend to have, it either comes at night, like after kids go to bed, after you're done with work, you could also have a chunk of personal time in the morning. Most people take it at night, like they stay up later, We tend to be tired at that point. So that time tends to go toward watching TV, toward social media, that sort of. Whereas if you go to bed earlier and then wake up earlier, you could use the time in the morning for more. And it also ties to the concept of the studies on willpower. We have more in the morning eating, right? You eat more healthier. And by the time the day progresses, you're likely to indulge more just as your willpower. It's it's like a bucket that sort of starts to deplete and at some point at the end of the day 
it's harder to sustain. So you're suggesting using that core time to invest or do things that you really want to spend time doing. Yeah, you always want to match the right work to the right time. And so if you leave all the things that are personally important to you to the end of the day, you just won't do them because you won't have the energy to do them. Whereas if you do them first, you get to them for the day takes its toll on you um, and that it can allow you to make progress toward your goals. In your own personal life, you write and blog about some of the balancing acts you do. I think I saw a picture of your kids' clothes laid out the other day. <laughs> I think it was on the floor, which I thought was pretty neat. It, you must have been getting ready for something. So is there anything else you wanted to cover? It's just always thinking about how you can sort of get ready for things. Like if you have identified something as important to you, it, you want to put mental energy into it. And so what you saw with the photo of the kids' clothes, I don't choose kids' outfits normally, but we were taking family photos. And so for that, I made selections of what the kids would wear so that we would all be wearing stuff that, that worked together. That's what it was. More just that when you identify something as a priority, then putting mental energy into making sure that it gets the attention it deserves. One just last little bit of advice I'd leave people with is to think about those small bits of time that we tend to have during the day. It's very easy to just pick up your phone, check social media, look at your inbox, but you could use these for other things. And by consciously making a choice to use them for other things, you can fit a lot more things into your life. Calling a friend or for reading, doing some stretches or meditation or anything along those lines. So even small bits of time can be used well if we are mindful about them. And, and I think it's worth using small bits of time well. Because yes, you could finish a novel if you keep reading every day, 10 minutes and squeeze it in between everything else. So I, this is a question I ask every guest. What advice would you give your 21-year-old self? on going through the different stages or helping them through the different stages of life? I think my 21-year-old self was already interested in writing, attempting to make her career doing that. So it's, it's all going to be fine. Don't worry about it so much if you keep trying to make progress on your goals. In fact, you will achieve many of them. I'd like to think she'd be happy with my life now and she was happy with her life then. So I think that's what I'd, um, you know, just say, stick, stick with what you're doing, do what makes you happy and you'll build a life over time that you enjoy. That's very positive. One last question. How would you describe yourself in one single word? Curious. So today we've had an interview with Laura van der Kam, who's a time management and productivity expert. If you haven't heard, you really need to listen to her TED Talk, which has over 12 million views. I've listened to it a few times and I've had a lot of other friends who actually learned a lot from that. You can listen and follow social media for Laura Vandercam. Look up Elle Vandercam on Twitter and Instagram and Laura Vandercam on LinkedIn and Facebook. Laura, thank you for being here today. It was a real pleasure talking to you and really think make us more conscious of how we take that elasticity of time and really structure it to prioritize what we think is important while still having fun and enjoying it and not structuring it all together. Thanks so much for having me. I hope you enjoyed today's conversation on returning to work after a break. Tune in every other Wednesday to catch the next episode. If you think a friend may benefit from this, please share this podcast with them. All the resources we talked about are also available on our website, womencareerandlife.com. I would love to hear from you about your stories and your journey. You can reach me on my blog, Twitter, Instagram, or Gmail at Women, Career, and Life. Until next time, this is Sirisha signing off. Remember, there are infinite possibilities to drive change in career and life. Which will you choose to make a reality today?